0: Now, by way of background to this parable, I think we must look at the occasion on which it was told. And for this, you must look back into chapter 19. There you will find the story of the man we call the rich young ruler who chose his riches over the kingdom of heaven. And Christ had said in Matthew 19:24. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. The disciples, of course, are astonished to hear this. But quickly, Peter realizes that he and the other disciples are not like that rich young ruler. They have left all to follow Christ. So, in Matthew 19, verse 27, he asks… Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? You see, that's the the background to the parable. So it is the Lord explains that he will have his reward. He spells that out in this parable. But with a, a, a warning, you'll see in verse 30 of Matthew 19, But many that are first shall be last, and the last first. You look down to verse 16 of chapter 20, you'll discover that the words there are almost identical. Those two statements enclose this parable. This is the Lord's response to what Peter said when he said, Lord, we have left all to follow you. What what are we going to have? We must bear all this in mind. These words, in these words, Christ is warning the disciples, of course, that they must not think themselves as it were a cut above other people. We must never get ourselves into that position. Many that are first shall be last, and the last first. And it's to explain that point that the Savior tells the parable. Now, as we approach the parable, there's one more thing we need to understand about vineyards. In the vineyard, there are people who work all the year round. But at certain points, there is a need for what we might call casual labor. might be able to manage, I suppose, to put a figure upon it, maybe 10 or 12 people during most of the year. But at certain points, especially in those days, of course, you would need hundreds. It's not so very long in our own land where at certain times, there needed to be hundreds out in the fields that wasn't the machinery. So it was in New Testament times. And the only way to get those people into the fields was for someone to go into the marketplace and recruit them. Then we must also recall that the day, their day, begins at 6 o'clock in the morning. It ends at 6 p.m. The first hour of the day was 6 a.m. The, the third hour, as it's recounted, is, the, is 9 a.m. The sixth hour is 12 noon for us, and the ninth hour is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Of course, the seventh hour is 5 p.m. So, having those things in mind, we can begin to understand the parable. Here's a man. And he goes to the marketplace at six o'clock in the morning to find casual labor, and he agrees with these men that he will pay them a penny, one Roman coin, a denarius, for their day's labor. And we understand that that was a good day's wage at that time. He goes back again at 9am and hires more men And at 12 noon again, he goes forth. And at 3 p.m., and he tells the men that he he still needs workers, and he will do right by them when it comes for the the, the wages to be paid out. He goes out again at 5 p.m., and there's still some people hanging about, doing nothing. So he takes them on to work for him for one hour. Then it comes to 6 p.m., and of course, you're paid by the day. 6 p.m. is the time that you're paid, and you can try to picture the scene. The owner is there, his steward with him, perhaps at a little table or something like that. And the owner orders that the men who were hired last should be first in the queue. They should be first to be paid. So you can imagine the people, no matter, no matter how many there were, all lined up, those hired at the 11th hour at the top of the, the line, top of the queue and they're waiting to see what they will get. And of course, they're paid a penny. So the, you can picture the whispers going down the line. Those who were hired at the, the 11th hour are paid a penny. What are we going to get? You no, know, they, they're, they're saying they've only worked for one hour. They've been paid a penny. A whole day's wages, we're, we maybe get two pence at least because we've been here all day. We've worked through the heat of the day. We've been lifting and carrying. And of course, when it's their turn, they also receive a penny. Now here's the climax of the parable. And it's then that these workers complain. And of course, at first sight, it might seem justified. Why should those who have worked so long, or worked through the hottest part of the day, who have carried the heaviest load, why should they receive the same Uh, wages those who only worked for one hour. And of course, modern trade unions would have something to say about that. But the point of the parable is not to teach us about trade unions or industry today. It's to teach us something about the kingdom of God. And it doesn't work by the same rules at all. In the parable, the master tells these complainers that he has given to them exactly what he promised at six o'clock in the morning— their complaint is that others have received proportionately more, and hence, on a percentage basis, it's unfair. But he says, the owner says, that what you're grumbling about is my generosity. That's what your complaint is about, my generosity. I haven't wronged anyone. I have fully honored the agreement I made with you at the start of the day. As an employer, I too have rights and I am free to be generous if I desire. Why grumble at my generosity? Why complain because I am good? Now, why did they complain? Because they were judging from the wrong standards. Instead of saying, isn't the master wonderfully generous? They're actually saying what Peter said, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Instead of saying, isn't our master wonderfully generous, they're saying, what's in it for me? What am I going to get out of this? And so the Lord Jesus is telling us that we will never understand the kingdom of heaven if you think that God works like men work. Men and women, they work for their wages because of what they're going to get at the end of the week or the end of the month or whatever. It's not like that in the kingdom of God. It never has been and never will be. All these workers in the parable were standing in the queue waiting to see who had done best, who had gotten most, what's in it for me. But these questions cannot be asked in the kingdom of heaven. It operates upon heavenly principles. This is the kingdom of God, and the attention is on God and His grace and His mercy and what He's done for us out of His abundant grace, not in what we deserve. We can never think in terms of what we deserve when it comes to our dealings with God. We're dealing with matters of grace, and uh, uh, we can't import worldly values into the kingdom of God. No, that's background to the parable. When we turn from the background to its lessons, and there are three of them. Each of them begin with the word all, and then there's a but comes in a little further into it. Here's the first lesson, the first part of it at least. All who come into the kingdom come into it the same way. We want to focus on that just now. How did the workers at six in the morning come into the vineyard? How did the workers at nine a.m. come into the vineyard? What about those who came at noon, or 3 p.m., or even 5 p.m.? They all came the same way. The Master came to them. He gave them a command, and He gave them a promise. And everybody enters the kingdom of God that way. The Master comes to you, and He calls you. There may be someone who asks, but how can Jesus Christ come to me? He lived and died and rose again 2,000 years ago. But when Paul was writing to the Ephesians, they'd never met Christ in the flesh either. And yet he says that Christ came and preached to them. Those words are found in Ephesians 2, verses 16 and 17, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you that were afar off. How did Christ preach to the Ephesians? How does it come to us? Well, every time the gospel is preached, Christ is present. And when the message is given, while the, the, the preacher's voice is a human voice, behind that there is the voice of Jesus Christ coming home to our hearts, speaking to us and calling us. But the message is still the message of Jesus Christ. And how wonderful it is that the Lord Jesus Christ comes to us and speaks to us and calls us to himself. I know in childhood oftentimes I'd heard that voice until the age of 12. I remember coming from a meeting in Lisburn Christian Workers Union Hall and going home to my bedside and calling upon Christ as my Savior. I had heard his voice calling me to enter into his vineyard, speaking to me. How wonderful, how glorious that is. I wonder are you conscious of the Lord speaking to you, calling you from a life of sin and worldliness, calling you to leave sin behind, put your trust in Christ, and follow Him. Have you hated that call? Now, the preaching of the gospel has two elements. There is a command, and there is a promise. In the parable… The master says, I command you to go into my vineyard. Then he says, if you go, I will do what is right by you. The Lord Jesus Christ comes to people through the preaching of the gospel. The Spirit of God works through the preaching of the gospel. He speaks to men and women. And there is a command. The command is to leave the place where you are and to go to another place to leave the life that you're living with your sin and service of sin, and yield yourself to Christ and his service. That's the command. The command is to enter into the kingdom, to submit to the king, and to enter into his rule and authority. He commands the sinner to repent, to grieve over your sin and the way you've lived, and to come and trust in Jesus Christ. Are you conscious of that command having come unto you? You must come then to rely and trust in the one who died for sinners on the cross. So the Master comes with a command and he comes also with a promise. And the promise is that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He promises to forgive your sin, all of your sin, all of it. Isn't that wonderful? Even those sins that uh, keep coming back to to memory, the the sins that you are even offended by yourself and create so much guilt, He he pardons all of our sin. He promises to pardon us our sin and to give us everlasting life to all who will obey His command. This is God's promise. It's His promise to you if you hear His voice and will come. Everybody who ever came into the vineyard comes the same way. Have you come? You need to come to Christ. Now, there's another thing we need to say under this first heading. We've said each of our points will start with the word all, and then there'll come the word but. And we come to that word but now. But they do not all come at the same time. In the parable, some went into the vineyard at 6 a.m., some at 9, some at 12 noon, some at 3, some at 5. In other words, some people come into the kingdom very young. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Samuel was probably not old enough to go to school in our terms. When the Lord called him, he heard the Lord's, vo- Lord's voice. Lord's vo- voice. See, Spurgeon was in his mid-teens when he came to trust in Christ. The first disciples were probably in their mid-twenties. Paul, maybe between 30 and 40, we speculate there. Some, of course, have been converted at the eleventh hour. The dying thief was one of them. He was hours, maybe minutes away from death, and he heard the Lord's call. He heard the command, and he responded. There was a great preacher in Scotland one time called Thomas Guthrie. In those days, you did your traveling by horseback. He got lost one night on the moors. Terrible night. Being a man of God, he simply put the reins down on the saddle and prayed that the Lord would lead him and let the horse go wherever it wanted to go. Eventually, the horse came to a cottage in the middle of nowhere. So he inquired at the door of the man who answered if he might come in and spend the rest of the night by his fire. The man agreed. In the next room was a woman who was dying. And out from her room in a little while came a Roman Catholic priest. And when he had left the house, Thomas Guthrie asked the man of the house if he could go in and speak with the lady. He asked her what the priest had to say to her had been of any help, and she told him it had not. So he sat by that lady's bedside, and he explained the gospel. He spoke about her sin and its condemnation. He explained about what Christ had accomplished at Calvary, When he died on the cross, he explained the promises of the gospel. And while he talked to her, something happened. She came to trust in Christ. She experienced true peace through faith in the Lord Jesus before she passed away. Later, when Guthrie went home after the weather had cleared, the morning had come, he told his wife, I saw a wonderful thing tonight. I went into a house and met a woman in a state of nature. I talked to her and saw her come into a state of grace. And before I left at home, she was in a state of glory. Converted at the eleventh hour. But all who come, come the same way. Is it not time for you to come? Oh, I ask you to consider the privilege you have that Almighty God, the God of heaven, should plan our redemption, sent his Son to redeem us at Calvary, and he would speak by his Spirit through the word to your heart, calling you. As it were, by name. You remember how the Lord Jesus came to Zacchaeus, called him by name, knew him, and he knows you. Is he calling your name? In your heart now, is it that thought, yes, I need to become a Christian. I need to put my trust in Christ. I need to get right. Then come now. Here's our second heading. All who come into the kingdom receive the same order. And it will be a but in a little while. In Matthew 20, verses 1 and 2, it says the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, When she went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard, and when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. In other words, everyone who is called by the householder is called to go into the vineyard. Read the parable again. Everyone who is called is told to go into the vineyard. Perhaps there are those who look on this parable as calling those already saved to service. I think that's incorrect. I believe this parable is saying that everyone the Lord calls to him is called to serve him. We are all called to work. We're all called to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a lot to do in a vineyard. I don't know that we have too many vineyards in Northern Ireland. Don't have the weather for it, but I'm told that there's a lot of work to be done in a vineyard. You can Perhaps recall seeing pictures of vineyards. Oftentimes, in certain countries, they're built on terraces. Those terraces have to be built and repaired. And because the rain comes, the soil tends to get washed down the hill. They have to be uh, replenished again. There's digging to be done. There's pruning to be done. There has to be grafting done. There has to be uh, the chasing away of birds because they would eat the young grapes. There has to be the prevention of animals, and sometimes I suppose you might say boys and girls from eating the grapes. There's the picking of the grapes, of course, and the carrying and the pressing, the fermentation, and the decanting and the the storing and the washing of bottles, and the bottling. There's the distribution. There's the seal. There's the accounts. You can see how it all adds up. And that's the kind of picture the Lord is using here when He depicts His church, His kingdom. There's much to do. And those who are called are called to enter into service. We join together today in the service of worship. We think of all that has gone before, not just this morning, but over the months and over the years that we might have these places in which we could gather, the sacrifice that took place, the prayers, the the preaching that has gone into the, the the back of all this, all the ordinary things that have taken place over the years. Who can ever calculate the hours that have been spent even on the maintenance of the, the property? And then there's the other tasks, simple tasks oftentimes, like the brethren who uh, greet people at the door. I have been in both Bangor and Money Slain. as minister. And I can tell you, in, in Bangor, there were people who told me, I came to this church as a visitor, and it was because of how I was greeted at the door by Cecil McGrath that I decided to stay here. When I went to Money Slain, I meant to visit the congregation. And I remember one gentleman saying, I went to that church as a visitor, and George McKnight and D.S. Hearn met me at the door. And the result of their welcome that became my, my home. That's my spiritual home. Those things are important. And there's others who do all sorts of things, the taking up of offerings and counting money, all those things. that We need Bibles. We need someone to translate them and print them hymn books, those who can uh, provide musical accompaniment that we might sing the better, someone to lead the service, someone to, to preach. If God is to be glorified and the church edified, there's so much goes into it. And we, we think of the place of prayer. We think of outreach. People prepared to knock doors. People prepare to invite their friends in. There's so much to be done. There's a, 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 a city to be won. There's a country to be one. There's a world to be one for Christ. And the Lord has called you. He says, I want you to be mine. I want you to enter into the kingdom. And I want you to serve me. Now, we can't all do the same thing, of course. God's given us all different gifts. There's things that some can do, and you were asked to do it. You'd be hard right. but there's something for all of us. Encouragers. I can remember in Bangor, there was one man, long, long gone home to heaven, Sam Milligan, And as a young minister, I was so encouraged by him. Even when he was very ill, he would say to his wife, I have got to be there because Mr. McDermott is dependent upon me. And when I saw him walk through the door, I was heartened in the work because he was there, because he wanted to be there to help me and to encourage me by his presence. He couldn't do very much, but he was there. By his presence, he was saying, I'm with you, young man, I'm with you. Remember the day I heard he died? He'd been down to the city. used to work in the railways. Wanted to go into something about his pension. Got back to Bangor. Was on well. Had to go into a shop set down and died. I knew I'd lost a friend, an encourager, a helper. There's so much work needs to be done. So much work needs to be done. And the but is not all can do the same work. That's why the owner went out to get new workers. Always new tasks needing to be done. Some are saved young, can give their lives to Christ service. Others saved late in life, can only give the remaining years. But we all are to work for the Lord Jesus, and we don't all have the same work. Some jobs are best done by those who start at 6 a.m., you think of those who have gone out in the past as young men and women to the foreign field of service and dedicated their entire lives to establishing churches. Maybe you'll think of certain names. Learn the language. Get to know the culture. Others that there there's so much that can be done. So much what are you seeking to do for the Lord? There's something the Lord has for you. I can't dictate to you what you should do, but perhaps the Lord will give you an opportunity, some something you can do. I do remember another lady in Bangor Church, and she was exceedingly apprehensive and nervous of everything. But she'd sometimes get the, the bus from where she lived into Bangor, and maybe she'd see a lady of her own age in, in the bus and a seat beside her free and she'd go deliberately and sit beside her and sort of maybe speak about the weather and then say, there's a little leaflet. I find that helpful. Maybe you'd like to read it. It's about how you can get saved. A man would come to her door on a Saturday morning selling minerals, lemonade. She'd witness to him. He came to Bangor Church and got converted, got saved, went on to serve the Lord well. There's something for everyone today. Not all could do the same work. Lastly, as quickly as we can say it, we say this, all that come to the vineyard will receive exactly what the Master has promised. Before long, our service for Christ will be ended. You know, I've passed my 70th birthday. I look back to my teenage years and say, where have the years gone? I remember older folk telling me when I was young, life goes past so quickly, but as a young person, it just seems endless, the future. Look back now, you say, where has it gone? Is that it? it goes past so quickly, and soon we'll appear before the Lord. On that last day, you'll receive what the Savior promised. Did he promise you acquittal on the day of judgment? That's what you'll receive. Did he promise you a place in heaven where there'll be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more sigh, no more death? Then that place will be yours. Every promise of the gospel will be true. Did he promise you a resurrection body? Then we'll receive it. We sometimes feel the need of it these days with our ailments. Did he promise you perfect peace and happiness? It will be yours. Everything the Lord has promised will be yours. And there'll be nothing unfair. Every word will be proved true. And then we come to the but. We'll receive all the Lord promised, but not what we promised ourselves. If we think back to that illustration we had at the start of the workers lining up to be paid, in effect, those at the back who'd been there from 6 a.m., when they saw what the 1 hour people had received, they started to make promises to themselves. They're getting a penny for an hour's work. Maybe I'll get two pence. Maybe I'll even get 12 pence. It's 12 hours after all. You see, some of you, some of us have been Christians since we are very young. And we thank God for that. And you've worked hard for the Lord Jesus all your life. You've lost count of the sacrifices that you've made and maybe you never did make account of them anyhow. And you know what disappointment is in the Christian life and the Christian work. And you know the worry and tiredness and tears in the Lord's work. And what has kept you going is the knowledge that the judgment will come and you will receive your reward. And you know you will not be disappointed. But perhaps the idea is grown in your mind that because you've worked longer and harder than the others, that you'll receive preferential treatment. That was in Peter's mind. What, will, what shall we have, therefore? that was. That's what the parable is about, answering that issue with Peter. We have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have, therefore? Now, you will not be disappointed. All that you're really longing for spiritually, you will receive. But the Lord doesn't want us thinking like Peter and imagining that we are so much better than other Christians and deserving of so much more than others. For remember, all of these years, you have not been working for yourself. You've been working for the Lord. And the Lord's name has been glorified. The Lord has blessed your labors in one way or another, maybe beyond in ways you have never even recognized. You haven't been doing it for yourself. You've been doing it for Him. And the eternal theme of heaven will never be how much you deserve or how much you got over other people. It will be what a wonderful God, what a wonderful Savior we have. He must be the center of eternity. Wouldn't it be a terrible thing if we arrived in heaven? And there's the the dying thief. Would we be jealous of the dying thief? Can we imagine thinking, what's he doing there? Think of the life that man led. I served Christ in the world for 40 or 50 or 60 years and you served him for what? Minutes from your death after a life of crime? Get away to the back of the crowd. I should be at the front. You know that won't happen. And those who have been saved late in life, you're not some sort of second-class Christian. But there's someone here and the years have gone by and you're still not saved. Come now. You'll not be some sort of second-class Christian. The Lord will be good to you. The Lord will bless you. Come. Oh, how wonderful it is that we were lost and the Savior found us. We were useless and he called us into his vineyard. I can remember as a child and growing up, I didn't have much self-esteem. I never thought I could stand in the pulpit his word. He's been good to me. And he knows me better than anybody here knows me. He knows me. And he's been so patient and so gracious and so merciful that he saved me and kept me and allowed me to do something in his work. And he'll allow you to. I trust the Lord will bless you as you do it.